Greetings. In the name of Jesus. That's the reason we're here, because of Jesus. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I'd like to look at the last part of this chapter. The title this morning is The Way of Life. The Way of Life. Jesus is wrapping up the sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And just to establish a bit of context, I'd like just to very briefly notice some of the themes, the topics that Jesus has addressed in this, uh, in this sermon, in this talk to people, people who are listening to him. I guess I used to think that, well, Matthew 7, this was at the very beginning of Christ's ministry, but that wasn't necessarily so, I don't believe. But this was probably in the, in the early part of Jesus' ministry. But he, here he is addressing a number of issues and just, uh, just like to mention them. <clears throat> he first starts off with the Beatitudes. Then he talks about being salt and light here in our walk, a culture and world. He talks about fulfilling the law. He talks about our personal relationships with people. How that we shouldn't be angry with each other. He talks about mental and moral purity. He talks about divorce. He talks about swearing, revenge and non-resistance. He talks about loving all men. And he warns against showing off godly deeds. He talks about prayer and fasting and about material accumulation. Don't lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven. He talks about judging others. He talks about asking God for our needs. And then he ends with this section beginning with verse 13 of chapter 7. And I think it's essentially a challenge for us to take these things seriously. In many of these teachings, he said, you know what? You used to hear it said about this. They said in old times this. But I'm raising the bar. I'm challenging you to live to a higher standard. And you should not only do this, but you should do this. Don't take revenge against your enemies, but love them. And many other illustrations could be given of his higher standard and that to which he calls us. The last two verses then of chapter 7, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, there was a certain set of rabbis who were considered to have authority. And I've read, I've seen the word something like Shema. I think it was pronounced in various ways, but these were men who had dedicated their lives to the study of the law, and they could quote by memory entire books of the Old Testament. And after a lifetime of this sort of dedication, 
they were considered to have authority to where they could speak to new issues. And this is the, the role that Jesus assumed here. He's speaking some new things. And they said, yes, here is someone who speaks with authority. He had Shema. And we should consider him as one who speaks with authority to us. Who speaks from God. And they were astonished. Well, perhaps we shouldn't be necessarily surprised because we understand who Jesus was. He was God's Son. He was the Messiah and is our Savior. And He speaks with authority to us. And so I'd like to look then at these verses beginning with verse 13 and see what Christ has to say. Thinking about all these different themes and topics that he's addressed here in chapter 5, 6, and 7, and that'd be a good thing for you to read. We won't look at all that today, but you go home and read it. Just remind yourself of what Jesus is saying, but consider it in the context of these closing verses. Verse 13 of chapter 7, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And by the way, I wanted to say that Christ here is using four metaphors to illustrate the Christian life. The choices that we need to make. So, here's the first one. He said there's two gates, there's two ways, and you have to choose between one or the other. Entering in at the straight gate, or the restrictive gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which that go in which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whoever, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded 
upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Four parables, four metaphors. Let's look at them a bit. We have the broad way, the narrow way, the restrictive way, and the way that's wide open for anybody and everything. The broad way is where the majority are. There's many there. Christ said, and not many who choose the narrow way. The broad way is an easy way. It's a way of the flesh. It's the way of the world. And its gatekeeper waves his glossy brochures at the entrance and says, this is the way for pleasure. This is the easy life. This is where you'll find everything that you want. But he lies. But there, there's a continuous stream of people. It's crowded. The narrow way is more obscure. And it's not so well announced. While there are those who steadily tread upon it, Sadly, there are many who pause at its entrance and look down it and then shake their heads and turn away. It's too hard, they say. It's too hard. It requires too much. It's not worth it. But Christ says we have a choice. We have a choice. A sobering choice. You know, it's simply not a choice between two routes that lead to the same end. Absolutely not. The one goes north and the one goes south. And it takes you to two vastly different destinations. The one leads to the destruction, the other leads to life. Yes, the one costs more than the other, but its rewards are infinitely more and greater. You know, one time God spoke to His people. He divided them into two groups and He put one Maybe I'm mixing two accounts, but one time he, he put some on one mountain and some on another and they had an antiphonal interchange there. And the one represented those who were not following God and the others those who would and the one who would receive cursing and the other who received blessing. And there was an occasion when God said, I put before you life and death. But he said, choose life, please. 
He begs with people then and he begs with people today. Choose life. We can live. We can live today. We can live eternally. Choose life. And I challenge you with the same choice today. And I encourage you to choose life. Choose life. Yes, the narrow way is more restrictive. We can't do just everything that we might want to. But at the end waits God and eternal life. And it's infinitely worth it. Satan sells his way for its pleasures. But Christ says, I am the way to eternal life. The first metaphor, the broad way and the narrow way. One leads to life, one leads to death. And you see, remember, this is all in the context of all these things that he's spoken to back in the previous chapters, in the beginning of chapter 7. He says, those things are the way of life. Many churches disregard the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, some are so bold as to say, well, you know, that's something Christ said, but since Christ's way didn't really work out, why then that's going to be the way of life in some future time, some millennial reign. That's bad theology. That's wrong theology. That is what Christ plans for His people today. That's what He wants for us. Let's follow the narrow way, the way of Christ, the way of life. There are many things that influence us today that form our perspectives for life. <clears throat> One of the things that Jesus says here is that there are those influencers who really speak the untruth. False prophets. He says, beware of false prophets. Don't let them sell you a false bill of goods. Don't let them convince you that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. Some come who would destroy your faith. John was talking in Sunday school class about some who, uh, you know, have a wrong perspective on what the Scripture says. They want to explain it away. And, uh, you know, I think that would be, fit into this category of false prophets. Yes, they have an appearance of speaking the truth, they would pass themselves off as true shepherds. But in reality, they're destructive. Is this a wolf or a sheep? You know, wolves are not cute and harmless creatures. I'm not sure. I've never seen a wild wolf. But I've read a lot about them. 
And they're not something that I'd want in my backyard. I'd be concerned if I would see one there. They feed themselves by killing other animals and they have no feelings for their victims. Doesn't bother them a bit to slash the throat of a sheep and gorge themselves. You know, the head of the pack of wolves that Christ is talking about here is the salesman who stood at the entrance to the Broadway. Only now he has, instead of a smile, a snarl. And he would destroy us. He is spoken of as coming as an angel of light. But he speaks a lie. Christ portrays him here as coming as harmless and cuddly. But he has teeth, dangerous teeth. Beware of false prophets. And he has many followers, many helpers. These false prophets appear as a sheep, but inwardly they are ravening ravening wolves, killing creatures. How do we know the difference? Well, he says, by their fruits. And this takes us then to the second or the third <clears throat> um, metaphor that Christ uses to portray the Christian life, and that is this contrast between a good tree and a bad tree. Well, how do we know? He says, you know, there's sheep and wolves. We need to be careful that this, per this person that, and he's talking about people, real people here, this person that looks like a sheep is, how do we know if he's not a wolf or if he is a wolf? Well, he said, just like a tree that has fruit of a certain kind, a certain variety, you can identify it so you can know those who are dangerous spiritually. There's a tree that grew up in a, in, down in a little ravine behind the house that um, started having fruit on it. And I've never done a thing to it. It's just something we threw out there, germinated, and this tree started growing. But now it has peaches on it. You know, I wonder what kind of tree that is anyway. Might it be a pear tree? Or a walnut? Or maybe it's an apple. No, I haven't lost my mind. We know what it is. It's absolutely a peach tree because that's the kind of fruit it has. And you know, I don't think I have to wonder what it might bear next year. Next year, it's not going to have cherries. It will, again, bear peaches because that is the kind of tree it is. We can know for certain. 
And the kind of fruit that people bear in their lives, the results of their lives, how they live, portrays who they are at heart. The things that we do are expressions of our heart. If we do evil, it comes from within us. That's scary, isn't it? That hits me. Evil in my life means that there's something evil within that isn't sanctified yet. I need God to sanctify me and cleanse me and purify me. But He will. Yes, there's the inherent sinful nature with which we were no, that's not what I want to say. There's an inherent sinful nature that we're born with. It's just there. But many things grow out of that as they're given opportunity. So we make wrong or right decisions. James puts it this way, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. So we don't want to go down that road. Back to the, the wolves in sheep's clothing. We want to be careful, friends, brothers and sisters, of the source of the influences to which we're exposed, the things that form us. What is it that influences you? Is it godly or ungodly? We would like to think that we can expose ourselves to things that Oh, yeah, I know that's not right, but I'm still going to read that. I'm still going to listen to that. Then you know, I'm not going to become that, but, you know, I, I like to be informed, right? We like to be informed, but there, there's some things that we're better off not to know because those things tend to shape us. Where do our influences come from? From godly sources and God's people or from the world and its follies? Or from some who don the mantle of righteousness but fail to embrace God's whole truth. Solomon was defined by God Himself as the wisest man that ever lived. And yet, the ungodly influences of his heathen wives led him away from God. And he became a pagan himself. Unthinkable. But it happened. What kind of skin do your wolves wear? That of the skin of a friend? Do the influencers of your life, good or bad, wear book covers? Are they radio preachers? Are your, inf 
Do your influences come from talk radio, from the internet, from your neighbors, from the toys in your life, or from God and His people and His Word? Be careful of the things that you allow to shape you, to influence you. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Judge them by their fruits. Do they seriously accept God's Word and promote it completely? Be careful. Careful. A, free, a tree can always be identified by its fruit and it can also be judged by its fruit. By their fruits ye shall know them. Now, the analogy of a tree breaks down just a bit. They say all analogies break down at some point or another. But, you know, that peach tree back in the ravine is always going to be a peach tree. Because it's always going to have that genetic makeup. But you know what? Jesus said, you must be born again. Have a change of nature. <clears throat> and we don't do that with trees. You can graft other things on. But I think that the, the, the change that Christ is talking about when He said you must be born again, born of the Spirit, is something that's, more, that's deeper than that. I think He changes our very genetic material to where we produce a different fruit. And so praise God, He does that and He can do that for every one of us. If we cooperate with Him. It requires our cooperation, our yielding ourselves to Him, our being open to the truth that He presents to us being filled with His Spirit, listening to the Spirit. A good tree or a bad tree is known by its fruits. I think it bears notice in this context that Christ says it's possible to fake it. He said, you know, there will be those in the last day when all people appear before God, there'll be some who will say, God, I'm so glad I did so many things for you. I did good things for you. I, um, I talked in your name. I told people about Jesus. I even sent Satan running in your name. But God is soberly going to respond, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're not one of my sheep. I have to wonder about those poor folks. They tried to put on the appearance of good fruit when in reality they were serving themselves. Maybe they did do some good things, but that's not enough. There was something very wrong there at the core. 
They didn't have that personal relationship and walk in obedience to God. Jesus in his ministry was particularly hard on the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the priests, the chief priests and the high priests. It seemed like they were all in cahoots to fight against Christ. <clears throat> and Jesus at one time, he more, maybe more than one occasion, he called them, you're just a bunch of snakes, vipers. Poisonous snakes. Uh, one, one animal, you know, in the Old Testament, they had vipers that came up against the Jewish camp and they were probably cobras. That's a, a term that sends a cold chill up my spine to think of facing a cobra. But they were deadly. And that was the term that Jesus applied to these people who pretended to be one thing, but in reality, they were something entirely different. They claimed to be children and followers of God, but they were not. God didn't know them. In the last day, God will forever and eternally expose the true character as well as destiny of all people. Where are we? Lastly, Jesus speaks of two builders. Now, you know, from, from little on up, we talk about the two different houses. But really, what's in focus here is the builder. There's the wise builder and the foolish builder. And the wise builder, well, the foolish builder, first of all, he built his house on the sand. The wise man built his... Well, uh, that's a good adult song. Let's think about it when we hear it. Am I wise or foolish by how I'm living my life? I think we have the picture of here as someone who builds his house on what is known as a wadi. A wadi is a dry stream bed. I've never been to Israel, but I have driven out through the southwest, and I've seen these things. You'll come up, and here's this bridge out in the middle of a desert. <clears throat> and, well, yes, you can see where this place where water is obviously run at some time, but it's as dry as punk now. But there were... Were obvious, there was obviously a time when a vast torrent of water flowed down through this area. And it would be a foolish man indeed who built a house down there. Maybe 99% of the time it would be a good place. It would certainly be an easy place to build a house. What's down low, you don't have to struggle carrying materials up on top of this rock. And digging a footer, no problem. Sand shovels easily. So it's a lot easier to build a house out in a wadi. But there comes a time when the test comes, a storm comes. The storm might be a long ways from you, but you experience the results. And you realize that up in the hills, there's a big rain. Might not even rain where you are, but then there's a trickle of water at first, 
And then it grows larger and larger and soon it's a raging torrent that just swirls against this house and around it and starts cutting out the sand from underneath it. And there becomes this gapping cavity underneath the one corner and before long the one corner starts to sag and then some more and before long the thing is just collapsing. And that's the way some people's lives are. They seem to live well, but I can think of various people that their family just collapses. And their business collapses because of sin. I have to think of, what, a month ago or so, the, the uh, apartment complex high-rise in Florida that collapsed. What, it was 40, 50 years old? Made of cement. It was strong, but people started realizing, look, there's something going awry here. Why this thing, I'm not sure exactly what all happened, but some of the rebar rusted to the point it had no strength or if there were potholes underneath it or what it was. But somehow they went, the people that lived there went to bed one night. In the middle of the night, this thing all of a sudden just crumbled. And most of those people lost their lives crushed in the wreckage of that 12-story apartment building. And it was fine the day before. But it just collapsed. We build our lives based on certain principles, on certain truths. Let's make sure that they're the principles that Christ presents to us here so that our lives will stand built upon a rock something that's solid immovable is not talking about a little stone that we carry over and put down and build around it he's talking about bedrock something that's solid it never moves it might shake but it never crumbles and when we build our lives construct our lives around the principles of Christ, we can be assured that our lives will stand. Yes, following Christ does have its cost. It is a narrow way. Restrictive. We can't do just anything. We face choices all the time. Every day we make choices. Will I do this? Will I believe that? Will I think this or that? What kind of fruit do I want to produce in my life? You know, Jesus said it's not enough just to hear. Come to church on Sunday morning is a good thing. A great thing. But we can't walk away from here and just pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, well, now I heard it and it was good and go on doing just what we did before. He says, he who hears and does. Verse 24, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and 
doeth them. I'm reminded of what Keith Crowder said one time. He probably said it to y'all, but he, he said, you know, sometimes when you leave church and, and, and people come past the preacher and said, well, well, thank you, brother. He said, you gave us a lot to think about. And he says, I didn't give it to you to think about it. I gave you to it. You do it. He who hears these sayings of mine and doeth them. And doeth them. The songwriter challenges us not only to trust, but also to obey. Some test of how do you know how your life stacks up in all this? There's the test of life's direction. Are you, are you going toward Christ or toward the world? The test of life's truth. Thinking about the sheep and the wolves, the false prophets. You know, how well do you discern truth or error? Do you get snuckered in by advertisements, by people that tell you with total confidence that this is true, this is what's going to happen, look at all that. Let's just turn to Christ and His Word and let's base our concept of truth on that. The test of life's fruit. What is the flavor of your life? How do people perceive your character or personality? Are you loving or angry? Are you patient or irritated? Are you joyful or morose? Are you giving or demanding? Are you gracious or snappy? This is an illustration of the fruit of our lives. The test of authenticity. Is your relationship with God genuine? Do you truly love God? Love to speak to Him. Love to hear from Him. Love to let Him speak to you. Ah, well, I guess I've got to sit down and read my Bible. Ah, I can probably do what I want to here in five minutes. And, ah, that's done. And we go on our way. Get on with the things we really want to do. Or do we say, you know what? I've got 15 minutes here. I know I had my devotions this morning, but I'm going to sit down and read some more. Is your relationship with God authentic? The test of life's trials. Do we have the stamina to withstand trials, temptations, James again says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers. Various trials, I believe, is what the New King James says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have, her, have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Quoting from the New King James. <clears throat> Can you withstand temptation? Can you withstand a bad diagnosis? I'm reminded of the story of the man who asked 
whose doctor told him, he said, you know what, your, your life is measured in hours. And the man said, that's okay, doctor. He said, you stick around and I'll show you how a Christian dies. And he died with a smile on his face. Can we stand those kind of tests? Or do we weep and howl when we receive some bad news? We lose. Yes, loss brings sorrow and yet we can rejoice in knowing God. The test of life's trials. Do we hear and do? Your house, your life is built on something. Is that something, something that you're willing to base, to risk your eternity on? Christ said, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man that built his house on a rock. May God bless us and direct us. Turn the time over to the minister.